You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that two U.S. economists who received the 2018 Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences were awarded that for their efforts this month to untangle the economics of climate change and technological innovations. These guys are William Nordhaus and Paul Romer, and they, quote, significantly broaden the scope of economic analysis by constructing models to explain how the market economy interacts with nature and knowledge, according to the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences. Their work was based on two computer simulations that weigh the costs and benefits of taking various steps to slow global warming. The, the EPA has used their work, among others, to estimate the economic impacts of climate change. And... The reason this is really important is that I don't fundamentally believe that people are evil or bad. I think that what happens is we set up systems and we make trillions of micro decisions. We do this inside companies, even companies who spray poison all over our soil and things like that. No one stood up and said, I am the dark emperor and I will destroy the world. What happened is hundreds of thousands of people made tiny decisions that resulted in an unexpected outcome. And these guys are untangling the math behind that. And I think that's really important because this happens in healthcare. This happens in what the government tells us we're supposed to eat versus what we should actually eat. And this whole school of research about how regulatory and policy-based things lead or inhibit new ideas in economic growth is something that we must understand to continue our evolution as a species. This is a special episode of Bulletproof Radio recorded live at the XPRIZE Visioneering event with my dear friend and advisor, Naveen Jain, who's been on the show before. Naveen is a amazing guy who has this long string of companies that have solved substantial problems in the world, the newest one of which is a company called Viome, uh, which I'm an advisor to. And Viome, as you know if you're a longtime listener, has cracked the code on understanding exactly what's happening inside your gut. I've actually learned things about what's going on in my gut. And if you've read my books, you know, I spent a lot of time looking at the microbiome. I have a lot less guesswork in my life than I used to because I know what's growing and I know how what I eat, what supplements I take can make changes to what's going on in my gut. And the changes happen very quickly over the course of a couple of days. And Naveen's on the show today because he has a new book out called Moonshots, Creating a World of Abundance. And he and I have spent a lot of time with Peter Diamandis, the guy behind the XPRIZE. And this idea of solving global problems is really important. And Naveen wrote a book about the mindset it takes to think bigger. My problems in business have always been from thinking too small, and I like to think I'm a big thinker, and Naveen's always pushing me to do more. Naveen, welcome back to Bulletproof Radio. First of all, Dave, it's just an honor and a pleasure to be here. And it's so hard to record a podcast because we just end up talking about so many different things to keep the podcast at a certain time. It's always so difficult. It's funny because we want to only go for an hour and you've been on a couple of times, but we always talk about incredibly different things. And this time, this is about mindset, not necessarily the, the, the human gut, which we've gone into great detail on. And... I think I described you on stage at the Bulletproof Conference as at least part alien. 
I'm not quite sure what that means. If you simply meant because I look brown and you've never seen a brown guy, I get you. <laughs> I grew up in New Mexico. That's not a problem. But but your your way of thinking is eight standard deviations away from normal. I've seen you walk into rooms and just light up the crowd, but also just over dinner. Someone puts a problem in front of you and the experts will say, well, let me tell you all the reasons that can't happen. And you just kind of laugh in their face, not in a, in a degrading, rude way, but just say, are you kidding? And then you just come up with all these crazy ideas. Why does your brain do that? Well, I think that first of all, every one of us can do that. So there's nothing unique about what I do. And the trick really is never to look at the world as is, but really what the world can be. And anytime you look at that problem, don't think about how you're going to solve this problem today. Instead, take the different set, different set of thought process and you say, what needs to happen? What kind of technologies will have to be developed if that were to happen? And let me give you a more specific example. So let's assume you say, we want to settle on the moon. And the person who is thinking about how to do it, they can come up with all the reasons why it can't happen and why it will not happen. If you simply were to ask them, okay, I don't want to know how. Just tell me what needs to happen, what technologies needs to come, come true, needs to be developed to make that happen. And the first thing they'll say, well, how, do we, how are we going to solve the problem of humans' DNA not being destroyed by high radiation? Because there is going to be tremendous amount of radiation and there is no way the humans can live there. Great problem. And then you say, okay. If I could tell you that that problem can be solved, for example, we find the bacteria growing in a radioactive nuclear waste. Now think about it for a second. Extremely high radiation. Nature has figured out how to protect its DNA from very high radiation. And it has also figured out how to use the radiation as a source of energy. Now imagine if you can take a genetic material from these bacteria, use the CRISPR, to modify our own genes in vivo and suddenly you could become radiation resistant. And nothing that I've said is beyond possibilities. I'm not saying, can we do that today? But that could happen. And you say, that were to happen, let's assume that problem will get solved. And you say, yep, that could possibly work. What is the next problem? Well, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to uh, grow food on the moon? Well, that's really not the problem. That's a solution you're looking for. What you're really asking me is, how are we going to provide the nutrients? How are we going to provide the energy to the human beings on the moon? Because food is simply there to provide the energy and the nutrients. So the, really the question you need to know is now, can we get energy and the nutrients? And we just talked about that. What if the radiation was the only source of energy you need? You can say, honey, do you want to go out for a walk and get some radiation? And that was the energy you needed. Now, that, Plants can do photosynthesis. There's no reason we could not do the radiation synthesis. Believe it or not, Naveen, uh, this was in either Headstrong or the Bulletproof Diet. Uh, up to 5% of your energy as a human being already can come from photosynthesis if you eat enough green stuff. And it's, it's actually in a scientific study, but no one talks about that. That's why sun exposure can be important. Uh, so we already know we even have a little bit of that. But, but back to the, the original question. So you ask a typical planetary scientist and they say, well, we're going to have to have 100 feet of water to shield you from some of the forms of radiation and that weighs too much so we can't go to Mars. And your perspective is, well, what if we just modify the humans? Yeah. 
who are going to be going to Mars so that they can survive the trip. There's some kind of a mental switch that you're throwing there. And I want you to teach listeners how you either learned or how you actively throw that mental switch to take the way you solve problems to the next level. Do you know how you do that? Yeah, and that's what I was describing was really start to imagine if that world is possible, what needs to happen? And as opposed to saying how I do it, you say what needs to be done. And once you start thinking of every problem and someone say, here's a problem, you say, okay, what, how do you break it down into smaller pieces and say these small pieces have to be solved for this big global grand challenges that can be solved? And then you take each piece and you say, what is the underlying core issue that needs to be done? Does the technology exist or would technology exist in the next 3, 5, 10 years? Because you can see the on exponential curve where we are and where we need to be. That kind of thinking is why you are one of the game changers in my new book. And this is a, an obvious plug. If you're listening and you haven't already ordered Game Changers, go to your favorite online bookseller and order a copy today. I'd appreciate it. In Law 12, which is titled, Don't Lead a Horse to Water, Make It Thirsty, I actually, based on our previous interviews, based on additional conversations with you, boiled down my best ability to figure out how you do your moonshot level of thinking so it can be teachable. And the idea behind this is that game changers don't get bored and they seek out the things that fascinate them and that make them want to leap out of bed in the morning. And that was actually a quote from you. And the idea is if you want to do something big, you want to be a game changer yourself, you've got to find your passion and purpose because without those, you're not happy. And what stands out, knowing you really well, is that you actually do leap out of bed. Actually, I wouldn't say in the morning. You get up in the middle of the night. You're one of those extreme <laughs> early morning uh, people. And I won't judge you for that. Um, but you, you come out and you're just bouncing with the energy. And I have one time seeing you a little bit tired. And, and the rest of the time, you are just vibrating with this passion for what you do. And I want people who are listening to the show, people who read Game Changers, to understand that if they don't learn how to turn that on, everything they do is going to be harder and, and it should be easier. Now, this is it's a long cue up into my question for you. How hard for you personally is what you do? So first of all, I just want to state saying, I've read the book Game Changers. And if any one of you who have not ordered it is missing out on something, Dave gets to meet with amazing people. And this is really, he's distilled down for everything that every single person who you hear about and who are successful about what makes them successful. So as you and I have talked about, it's not about their habits. Yeah. It is about how they think. And to me, there is no better book you could buy in your life to improve yourself than to buy Game Changers. Wow, that's a serious plug. Thank you. <laughs> now, having said that, so to me, it is about finding your true passion. And the way you find true passion is not somehow go on a self-discovery. You don't need to go out to a mountain and spend three years searching and finding your soul and true to who you are. There is a very easy way of finding what you actually care about. Ask yourself that if you had everything in your life, you had billion dollars, you had amazing family, you had wonderful kids, what is it that you would do? And if you do that today, you will get everything that you want in life, the money and the family, because people are attracted to people who are driven to what they care about. 
find what you're willing to die for and then live for it. And that's the kind of things even you do. And one way you know you're not doing what you're truly passionate about is when you get up in the morning, in my case at 4 a.m. and a Dave case at 7 a.m. <laughs> uh, but if you are not jumping out of the bed the day, the minute you wake up, you're doing something wrong with your life. If you say, let me just a snooze button, let me lie down for another five minutes, you're not doing things that are worthwhile doing. Now, Naveen, you're on the Forbes list. Okay, you're an, a successful guy who can really do whatever you want to do. And you you built that. You came here to the US with nothing. And you, your story is incredible. There are people listening to the show, though, who are on their way to you know, $15 an hour job. Or maybe they're you know, pushing a cart in a warehouse right now. I, used, I did that for five years, by the way. Mm-hmm. I put parts in boxes. <laughs> so it wasn't very fun. But uh, they're probably not jumping out of bed in the morning. Dave, that, that is exactly wrong. I tell you, I worked for $3 an hour when I came yeah. to this country. To me, you take pride in what you do. Yes. I don't care what I did. I wanted to be the best at yeah. it. If I am going to clean that floor, I want to be the best damn janitor ever done. I want to take pride in what we do. And everyone who sees that and say, that man loves his work. And then take the time you have left to improve the skills, to learn something. Every day when you go to bed, you have to ask yourself, am I intellectually better today than I was yesterday? Am I emotionally better than I was yesterday? Am I spiritually better than today than I was yesterday? And if you're not making progress, you are actually dying. The day you stop becoming intellectually curious is the day you die. That is very much the path uh, that I followed. Uh, I would get so bored putting parts in boxes uh, that I realized there was uh, a, an award, a financial award for everyone at my warehouse if we could come up with process improvements. So I said, I'll just do two a week because it's not that hard. We're putting parts in boxes. Couldn't you do it better? And I ended up raising what everyone at the warehouse got paid by about 5% for a couple of months before they changed the program because they realized it was increasing costs. Uh, because I was bored. And that staying intellectually stimulated, it, it does take time. It certainly took me time. It took you time as well. Um, I started out at four twenty-five an hour, not uh, $3 an hour, but pretty similar. And I mean, look look where you've ended up today. And so this is a process. So for, for younger people who are just getting going on that, your advice is do what you're doing with excellence and be really curious. And never ever think that what you're doing doesn't matter. The mm-hmm. fact someone paying you to do that because it matters. And if you are good at it, then they want to give you something even more. If you suck at your job and you tell them, because I want to do something more meaningful, they say, you can't even do this job and you're asking me to give you a different job. The reason people give you a different job and more meaningful job, because they see you do so good at what you do and say, I want that dedication, that passion, applied to this did you ever read the fountainhead no i did not <laughs> you did not it it reminds me a little bit that there's a sort of the the heroic people in ayn rand's famous book that yep. that yep. has really influenced silicon valley i, I read it when i was 16 and it, it probably it, it helped me and probably made me more angry than i should should have been at the time uh, but more angry at, at injustice the the characters who who 
are the very successful people when they're making a hamburger, yeah. they make it perfectly. Yeah. When they're rolling a cigarette, they roll it perfectly. And it's this idea that whatever you're doing can be done with excellence. And you've built that into your life. And our culture of our company. Every person I hire and I tell them the same thing. This is what you're hired to do. I call that a cake. Everything else you do outside that's your true passion and you want to do that, that's an icing. It doesn't matter how much icing you put in. If there is no cake, people don't want just icing. Do a wonderful cake. Do so good a job that cake is amazing. And any icing you put on top of that is just what people love. That is uh, fantastic advice. And I think it's important as people are starting their careers uh, to understand that. If you're not doing what you're hired to do or you're doing it with resistance and anger or, you know, undermining others at your company or starting, uh, you know, internal wars and building uh, your own little fiefdom inside a company, people will notice. And when they notice, they're not going to promote you and it's going to create discomfort for you and for others. Instead, you just come in, you kick ass. And help everyone else. Oh, of course, and help others. And that's how they say, oh my God, not only he does a great job, he's such a good person that whenever he finds time, he helps someone else do their job. And that's how you get promotion. That's how you get more responsibility. You don't get responsibility by bitching about how shitty your job is and why you don't like it and then expect someone to promote you. <laughs> yeah, or, or bitching about other people at your company too. Yeah. yeah. It, so the, the complainers typically don't get promoted. What would your advice be or what experiences have you had in your in your evolution to become this big moonshots thinker uh, for people who are at a job where they actually do that? They, they make the most perfect cake possible and they ice it perfectly and no one notices. Well, it's interesting thing is then you're working at the wrong company. Yes. If people don't value what you do, then you should go find somewhere where people care about having a perfect cake with the perfect icing. And it is quite possible that it is not your problem. It is sometimes you find yourself in a wrong environment. And that's what you say when you wake up in the morning and you find that you have put in your heart and soul and doesn't get noticed, find a different job. There are plenty of people who will appreciate that perfect cake and perfect icing. Uh, uh, awesome advice. If you're not appreciated, move on. I've dealt with younger people sometimes who are appreciated but don't feel appreciated. In fact, I was one of those. I'd had nine months of working in my first Silicon Valley company, a company called uh, 3Com. Mm -hmm. It was one of the early networking companies. Yep. And so I said, all right, I have a degree in information systems. I've got nine months of experience. I'd like to be a director. And, and then I was really pissed off that they didn't offer me a director position. Now, 20, 25 years later, I understand what it takes to be a director, you know, mid-level management mm -hmm. at a company. And it requires some experience and some teaching and some failing, none of which I had at the time, but I was too egotistical to know that. In your own path, did you ever run against that in your early days, Microsoft, stuff like that? You know, I think a lot of it comes from um, as, as young people start to develop this self-entitlement and they have this entitlement attitude that, I can be the CEO. I can, the day I am out of college, I should be the CEO because I am just as capable as anything else. And, you know, I'm not suggesting you can't, but there is a lot of wisdom you learn by making mistakes. And to some extent, I believe it's not about the years of experience. It's how many 
experiments you have done, how many mistakes you have made, and all of that combined is what makes you a great leader. To be a great leader, it's not someone who never gets anything wrong. In fact, those are the people who will never succeed in life because when someone doesn't get uh, gets every when someone gets everything right, they're just not pushing the envelope far enough. And think about it: a basketball player, if you take four shots, all four of them go in, you're still going to have eight or ten points on the board. It is the player when he gets a 50 point on the board is the person who takes 50 shots and misses half of them. And that's how you get to a 50 point person. So if you're ever in life, you want to be a 50 point person, you get comfortable knowing that half the times you're going to shoot the ball up in the air and you're just not going to go in. When I turn your book over, I look at Moonshots, you've got Tony Robbins, uh, Sir Richard Branson who wrote your foreword, Dr. Oz, Deepak Chopra, Peter Diamandis, Ray Kurzweil, Vinod Kosla, and Tim Draper endorsing your book. These are some pretty heavy-duty people I, I greatly respect, some of whom I know. And these are people you've, you know and people you, you've worked with. But I want to know early on, one of the people who was most influential in teaching you the value of failure. Yeah, so I, you know, to large extent, I would say the best mentor for me has been life. Life never stops teaching. It is we who stop learning. So in a sense that every time, every interaction you have is a learning lesson. And to me, the lessons of life that I have learned are really by living life. And obviously, as you were reading the people on the back cover, the most important person missing that is actually uh, uh, Dave Asprey there. Oh, come on. Right. No, but it's true because, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time and I have a tremendous respect for what you do. And it's your pure heart, your desire to give, your desire to make people's life better. You constantly want to improve everyone who gets in touch with you. Your uh, just sincere desire to help people you meet is really the kind of person that I really define as a, not only a good human being, but a great successful person. So to me, I my head's off to you. Huh, Naveen, thank you. Yeah. I uh, still want to know though. Tell me a story. T tell me sometimes someone, when, when you were in, in the first 10 years of your career, someone who has a name like on the back of the book, so someone who was at a level of success you hadn't achieved yet, sat you down and said, I mean, you're doing it wrong. Or I mean, you, you need to know this. Like, did, did you ever have a conversation like that? You know, these, so it's really a one conversation that changes who you are. There is not one thing in life that generally that fundamentally changes the trajectory. It is the continuum in life. It is one thing you hear and you normally will ignore it and then you hear something else in a different context from someone else and maybe a third time and a fourth time it becomes who you are by incremental changes i don't believe these step changes in life that really happen generally these are these incremental changes that suddenly you look back in five years later you're completely different path but that happens as a part of the continuum rather than these episodic step step functions so it's kind of a linear evolution yeah. but the way you think is non-linear you're a moonshot guy that's exponential 
so but even exponential there is a continuity in that exponential part what i'm trying to say is there is no break in this continuous path what happens is when you start doubling suddenly you get to the knee of the curve when you start to take that leap but that exponential curve is still connected it's a continuum except that it starts to get faster and faster as you start to get to the right place and and the reason that happens is as you start to change your thinking you start to attract other people that are think the same way and then suddenly you start to get into this virtuous cycle of every person trying to make you even better so when you are simply playing in a minor league and you are the best player and you're not rising yourself to be the <clears throat> in the major league when you absolutely suck that's what makes you better is to constantly find and surround yourself people which are substantially better in terms of thought process of how you think and suddenly you catch up to them you may not be as good as them but you start to get better with every interaction and then you leap bound to the next level and to me it is always find yourself with the smartest people the people you respect and you know people say well how would i ever get a chance and i tell you what it is every one of us gets to do that it's a matter of do we take the opportunity and do when the opportunity arises are we end up becoming the shy person who would not do that so i go to the events and i know someone i want to meet i make it an effort to do so and i'm going to give you an example that i thought everyone thought uh, was couldn't couldn't happen so here i was at vatican and i am in 15th row and i saw pope stepping down from the stage wanting to meet people i was in the middle i got out while people were still sitting and i said i need to get out went to aisle i'm in a front row shaking hands with the pope wow and when everyone thought i was sitting in 15th row next thing you know i'm a jumbotron having a conversation <laughs> with the pope and people all they could do was oh my god i can't believe it and after the fact everyone thought they wish they did that it took someone to say i don't really care what someone thinks i'm going to do because that's what i want to do and that comes uh, my second part of the things in life has been is about falling in love with yourself and i really believe that we as young people as we grow or especially i would say the girls and women they just have this hard time when they say i say fall in love with yourself and i don't mean being self conceited what i mean by is don't look for someone else's approval get so comfortable who you are find happiness inside you find that you're comfortable in your own skin that you stop worrying about what someone else thinks and once you get to that point you start to achieve amazing things i It's definitely something that I've I've seen in you. You don't worry about what other people think. In fact, I I would say even more than not worrying, you you just don't care, right? And and that that takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of work for most people to get there because we grow up, you know, people bully you in in middle school or whatever, and your parents oftentimes you know say things uh, that are not complimentary about you. It's a very common thing because well parents yep. get tired and actually you probably are misbehaving when you're five. And and we get all these voices in our heads. How long did it take you and your evolution as a human being to get rid of that? 
So I tell you, it is very interesting uh, as a parents, because I think I could talk about myself or I could tell you that living um, as a parent, because now you see yourself as a child reliving that. Yeah. And it's amazing. Uh, as you know, we have three amazing children who have achieved, I mean, amazing heights, yeah. even better than we have done. But right from the beginning, we will tell them, our love for you is unconditional but our approval is not. You never have to ever wonder, do we love you? If you ever, ever need something, you know we will give our lives for you. But we would we tell you we are proud of you. And that is all you have to earn is when I wake up and say, I am proud of you. And I can tell you what will make me proud of you. So our job as parent is very simple. is let the children know what makes us proud of them. And they will live their lives trying to find out to do things. So I told our children that what will make me really proud of you is if you are able to improve the lives of more people than I am able to do, that will make me very proud of you. And imagine all three of our children are on path to doing exactly that. It wasn't, I'm pr I'll be proud of you if you became a best baseball player. It was simply about what can they do to be a better citizen of the society? What can they do to improve the lives of more people in their own way? And they're all going to do it in very different ways. But knowing what the goal is allowed them to pursue their lives to their full, full passion. When you talk about not worrying about what other people think about you, does that go for your own parents? Well, to large extent, uh, you know, we have a loving, loving parents. So, I mean, I love my parents. And there are times when they would give me some opinion, I would say, dad, love you, but that is not what I'm set out to do. And it's okay for, I mean, that's part of me to say, you know, in large extent, I am not at this point, I know you love me and you're giving me what your advice you're giving me, you're giving me because you love me. And to me, that is really what matters. So even if the advice they give me that I disagree with, I always know they're doing it from the goodness of their heart. And I never, ever am angry at them other than simply giving them the love back. So you, you don't have that wiring to, to seek their approval, but you still seek their advice and then you take it or you don't take it. And it, that is true. And even to seek an approval only in a sense that in a general sense, they wanted us to be able to go out and be independent and get out of the cycle of poverty. And, that's, and I did that. That's because you came from an impoverished family in India. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. People haven't heard your story. G give me the short. They story. have. If they have not heard about it, then they have to go back to the podcast you and I recorded fair, on that. point. <laughs> yeah, we, we did that one on stage at the Bulletproof Conference. Yeah. It was profound. In fact, I've got the podcast number for you here. It was episode number 452 recorded in December of 2017 called Listen to Your Gut and Decide Your Own Destiny, where you talk about really being impoverished in India and how you came to the US and, and how you were inspired to stay and and all of that. So that was something that your parents cared a lot about was breaking the cycle of poverty. And you've you've done that uh, in, in an excessive way that has allowed you to give back in a big way, including giving away your book, which is, which is an awesome gift. Thank you. Well, Dave, that is really your kindness. You really want people to be better. And to me, there was nothing that I could do. You asked me and says, I want every person who's listening to this episode to be able to be at their best. And you asked me, would I do that? And of course I would do that. Well, well, thank you, Naveen. 
the idea of every person listening to this episode in their own mind creating a moonshot, uh, to me, it makes me happy because not all moonshots land. Sometimes you miss or you might hit the moon a little too hard. But if you don't do it, then nothing changes. And we're at a point in in the world where some substantial things have to change for it to be a place where we all want to live. And we need people of all ages saying, I'm going to quit playing minor league. I'm going to step up a little bit. And your book dials that in in a, in a really meaningful way. There's a fear that holds people back, though. And the fear is that they're going to scare people. And, and I'm saying this because the first time I had a chance to hang out at the X Prize uh, was at the 10th anniversary of the Ansari X Prize. Mm-hmm. And I showed up. It was the most expensive nonprofit event I'd, I'd been to. It was, it was a meaningful. Was that fun or what? Oh, it, it, was, <laughs> it was crazy. It was about five years ago. We were with Richard Branson at Virgin Galactic and we had yeah. Elon at the SpaceX. And it was one of the best trips I, we did together. I mean, I, I held a, a remote-controlled vehicle that will be exploring the moon and, and, and actually drove it with VR goggles over my feet. But it was, it was a chance to play with about 50 people uh, were there at 10 o'clock at night at a bar uh, using Legos to build lunar moon, ba- moon bases and having a contest. And it was it was interesting because it was one of the first times I'd been in a room full of people where no one was intimidated by moonshot thinking. They're all like, I, I could have a bigger moonshot than you. And uh, it, it definitely changed my perspective on things. Uh, and it's when we really got a chance to connect. When I talk with so many people, uh, entrepreneurs I'm advising, uh, just people I know, they're afraid that if they think really big, that it's going to intimidate the people around them. And I had some of that. I, I was, I've, oh, I can relax in here. I'm just going to go as big as I want to be. Yeah, I really do want to live to at least 180 and all that without any resistance from the crowd. But in life, so many people, especially as they're getting going, they face that resistance. You, know, that you, you, you share your moonshot and people just immediately try to shoot it down. Mm-hmm. What's your advice for people to get over that? So, and, uh, you know, I, as I've said in the past, dream so big that people think you're crazy. So you, and the, you, you encourage people to, to absolutely. be Absolutely. And know if people laugh at your ambitions, you hanging out with the wrong people. <laughs> Get rid of everyone. When you tell them oh, your moonshot and they laugh at you and they don't believe you can do that, just get rid of those people and surround yourself with the people. So here's the thinking that goes, right? Why is it there's so many successful ideas that come out of Silicon Valley and people say, how do I create a Silicon Valley in Budapest or somewhere else? Right. And people somehow think, oh my God, all I have to do is set a bunch of incubators, set a bunch of VCs and somehow the magic happens. What they don't realize is magic happens in the thought process, in the mindset. To give you an example, when you go in a Silicon Valley and say, hey, we are going to go to the moon, no one looks at you and says, ha, sure, you, right? They say, oh, wow, that's, what kind of rocket are you thinking of using? Where are you going to be landing? Uh, you know, are you thinking of bringing back the helium-3? Are you thinking of rare earth elements? You know, do you, how much water do you think there is in the moon? What kind of fuel do you think you're going to be taking using there? Do you want to use a hydrogen peroxide or something? My point is, no one ever says, that's going to happen. They start asking you more questions. And you say, you know, if you use hydrogen peroxide, you know, there is water there. And that means H2O is there. Hydrogen peroxide, H2O2, boom, you can have a fuel right on the moon. Wouldn't that be awesome? There's a law in Game Changers, my new book, around being aware of and even changing your community. Yeah. 
And it's important because in a community like XPRIZE, where everyone is a moonshot thinker, and you you definitely stand out, you're always on stage. And the idea there is, is like you said, you get support. So your advice for people then who are worried about, I have this crazy moonshot, is they need to hang out with cooler people. Well, no, hang out with the people is not about cooler. Well, hang out with yeah. people who actually are curious, just as big yeah. and intellectually curious. And, you know, I want to come back to this chapter that how you started with this. Really about not taking anyone to water or making them drink, about making them thirsty. What makes people thirsty is this intellectual quest. If you can create that intellectual curiosity in the children, in the people, in the employees, suddenly not only they're going to find the water, they're also going to drink that water. And all their life, they're going to be searching for that water and drinking that water. And to me, it's not just about being an entrepreneur, being a mentor, being a leader. This is the kind of things you start to move forward with. Everyone you get in touch with, you ask them, what if that was possible? And if that was really possible, what would it take to make it possible? Right? And that changes everything. Naveen, as you plot your moonshots, I know that you don't have a moonshot. You have multiple ones. Walk me through a few of the ones that you're already working on, things like mining the moon and things like that, just so people listening understand the scope of what a big moonshot thinker actually thinks like. And then I'm going to ask you about what's next after Viome. So, I mean, if you think about the moonshots are the one, if successful, could change the lives of billions of people on this planet. So you start thinking about what are the things God forbid, if I'm actually successful in doing what I'm trying to do, would it actually improve the lives of billions of people in the world? And you start to say, what would that be? And you say, well, could we potentially save humanity from potential extinction? We all, 7 billion of us, live on a single spacecraft. What if our spacecraft gets damaged, whether we get hit by a large asteroid or we humans are very capable people of destroying it ourselves? And we always say, well, I'm worried, I'm worried about this planet. Now, let me tell you something. Don't worry about this planet. This planet will be just fine after human species die. So worry about the human species surviving. Don't worry about this planet. Imagine, remember, there used to be dinosaurs. Dinosaurs were substantially massive, massive mammals than humans are. A large asteroid wiped out all the dinosaurs from this planet. Planet survived just fine. Over time, millions of years later, now we have a human species. And if this planet get destroyed, this human species get destroyed, this planet will go on and someday is going to have another species and it could be superhuman for all we know. And we, it could be the superhumans lived before us, as far as we know. So all I'm trying to say is that from my perspective, saving the humanity from, multi, um, from potential extinction is what I did with Moon Express. Is Can we actually move the humanity from just Earth to be able to live on the Moon, to be able to live on the Mars, to be able to live on Titan or Europa? And I believe that even though Mars may be a better destination or Europa may be a better destination because it's not in the Earth-Moon ecosystem, but 
if you're going to solve that problem of living on the Mars, which is high radiation, high temperature difference, low gravity, it's better to solve that problem while you're only three days away than to be six months away. So it's better to be a lunatic than to be a Martian. <laughs> a lunatic? <laughs> I like that. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. So small steps to becoming an interstellar The part was really about solving the problem of healthcare. Because here we think about as we are look, living longer and longer and suffering from chronic diseases. And it's so clear that chronic diseases is not something you catch. You wake up one day and say, hey, we were just hanging out the bar last night. I think I might have caught obesity. Right. <laughs> or I might have caught diabetes or I might have caught autoimmune disease. Right? It is not something you catch. It is something you develop over a long period of time. As we all know, Parkinson's starts in the gut 15 years before you see the first symptom. Same type of thing. Heart disease is not something you catch one day. It happens over a long period of time. And I believe it's not, <clears throat> it's not your destiny. It's not your genes. Your genes don't make you who you are. And the find I find really puzzling is that we spend all the time talking about the human genome sequencing, learning about our DNA. You are born with the same DNA that you die with. Somewhere in between, you get sick and your DNA has not changed. This can't possibly be DNA. And maybe it is really the gene expression that changes. Maybe it is other genes that are expressed in our body, there could be microbial genes, that changes. <clears throat> but it can't really be your DNA. And that to me was the key, understanding that expression of all the genes is really what's the key for living healthy. So I started a company to be able to analyze the mitochondrial gene expression, all of the blood cell gene expressions, all of the 40 trillion microbes and their gene expression, and then using the AI to find out what is it they are actually producing. And based on that, you can actually do something about it, take an action. Is spinach really good for me? Is this thing really uh, bad for me. And we tell you what foods are good for you individually, not some healthy food, because you and I both know there is no such thing as universal healthy food, but also tell you why. We tell you, telling you to not to eat apple, and here is why for you apple is bad today, and it may change three months from now when your microbial ecosystem changes. Now, you're asking me, what if I can now solve the problem of chronic diseases, aging is a chronic disease. Yep. We could solve the problem of aging. And I don't really mean to say, hey, another crazy guy who wants to live forever. But all I'm saying is, it's not about living forever. It's about living healthy for as long as we live. And aging, the diseases we get from aging should not happen. And whether it is you live to be 200 or you live to be 500. Because the point is, if you are maintaining your body and you're maintaining and repairing it constantly, then you literally are a new person born every day. It is the person dying every day and reborn every day, except your memories and experiences the same, but your body is constantly a new body. And it happens whether we like it or not. We all know, Dave, I mean, you are the expert at it. Every part, every cell in our body recycles. It dies and yep. regenerates. 
So we are really not the same body. What if that repair mechanism only got better and it had unlimited repair potential? We could get rid of aging. Uh, I am all in on that one. It's one of the things I- You are the leader. I mean, there's- It's one of the things I've done for 20 years in the nonprofit setting. And frankly, if you read Headstrong, it's an anti-aging manual, but a lot of people don't worry about aging until they're older, but we all want brains that work better now. And I'm seeing a shift in what some of the the thought leaders around the world are talking about, where 20 years ago, if you said, I I don't want to age, people would laugh at you. And now you say, I don't want to age. You say, yeah, I don't want to age either. Is there something we can do about that? Why do you finding that yeah. it, we can do something about it? I mean, yeah. you know, obviously there's a lot of research going on and there's no one in a fountain of youth you can drink from. But we now know the senescent cells. If you can remove the cells that stop dividing and they only in fact producing toxins, it really helps. Yeah, We can also do the stem cell therapy and you have been a big fa- fan of that. But the point is, it's only a matter of time. We will be able to understand our insights of human biology. And we'll be able to not only prevent, but also reverse the damage that we have done. And many people are getting really good success. So I really believe in our lifetime, we will get there. This child already born that will have a choice when they want to die. Are you worried about what will happen if we have people walking around 150 years old? We already have a big population. And that to me is really the mindset of scarcity. When yeah. people start to think about, hey, this planet has 7 billion people. And what if you get to 10 billion or 12 billion or 14 billion? How would we survive? Now, imagine if that's a question people asked when we were 1 billion, that what if we ever got to 2 billion, what will happen? And 2 billion, they thought, what if we got to 3 billion? None of us would be born because they would have done something about that. right? right. right? But the fact really is, there's no reason, there's any scarcity of anything. The mindset of a scarcity or sustainability, as we call that today, which is a synonym now for conservation, you can never, sustainability, in my opinion, the way we define is unsustainable. You can never conserve your way to become rich. You can, if you want something, create more of what you need, not use less of what you have. The idea is, why do we have to just live on the land called planet Earth? What if we could live on the moon and Mars and Titan and Europa? Where is the limitation? What if the there was abundance of food? And, you know, we just were talking yesterday and day before yesterday about how to feed the next billion. And yeah. there were many ideas not just to feed the next billion, they could feed the next 20 billion, right? Because what if... And as we th- were talking about, what if we just got it, predict the past, and that would itself be able to get 50% or 100% more food that, that's already vas- wasted, it could feed the multiple billions. I, I watched you pitch that on stage to a room full of, of potential donors, and instead of saying, we're, we're going to robotically grow food in orbit or something, uh, you said, here's the deal, there's at least a 50% waste because of insects and because of mold and because of other crop damage. And so if you could predict that, you could immediately use way less pesticide than we do now, which would be good for the the global biome, which feeds our microbiome. Uh, And it would solve the problem very elegantly in relative short amount of time. So you're looking at this from a moonshot perspective and saying, we have 50% more food than we think we do. So let's rescue that. 
And then let's look at some other technologies. Exactly. You can do vertical farming. You can do aquaponics. You can do aeroponics. And you can do all kinds of things. But my point is, if you believe now energy, I mean, look at, we live on a planet where every 90 minutes more solar energy falls than we use in the whole year. Simply a matter of conversion. It's a matter of time. We'll be able to convert that. And I was just this morning at a breakfast table talking to a gentleman who says they're able to figure out a very tiny nuclear reactor that is able to produce ultraviolet light that you can use the material that will convert them into energy, solar energy conversion at 57, 58%. That will solve all the problems. And that we were discussing this morning at a breakfast table, <laughs> what material you need to be able to use ultraviolet light instead of white light that will produce all the energy that we need. We were discussing this morning about another thing. What if we are able to make it rain where it doesn't rain? And what if we want a children's birthday party on Sunday? We may as well get the rain to come on Saturday so we can reduce the moisture. So it'll be a sunny day on Sunday when we need it. <laughs> Wow. So my point is, here we are surrounding ourselves there with people. We don't, when we say, here's a problem, someone says, oh, let me tell you how we can possibly solve that. And that is what I'm talking about is getting rid of that mindset of what if there were 2 billion people? What if there's another 7 billion people? You start to say, if two minds are better than one, imagine 10 billion minds connected together. What problem can they solve? Do you ever worry about the dark side of this? I mean, if we can send things up to the moon to mine for minerals, there's no reason you can't drop rocks on people you don't like. If you can cause rain in one place, you can cause a drought for people you don't like. Are you worried about this? So remember, we all, technology in itself is neither good nor bad. Yeah. It is the people who are good or bad. So you don't want to stop the technology. You want to stop the bad behavior. So you don't say, well, cars kill people, so let's stop cars. You simply say, let's stop the drivers that kill people. Right? Is there a moonshot in your mind for, for building better people? I don't mean re-engineering us to eat radiation as a fuel source, but I mean people who are generally happy and don't feel a strong desire to kill other people. Well, um, you know, again, going back to it, just a couple of hours ago, we had that discussion. Exactly. <laughs> we were talking about how do we create a society where people have compassion and empathy. And that really comes down to really being happy inside. Once you start mm. to look at who you are and you're comfortable with who you are and you find happiness inside you rather than looking for happiness from outside someone, it changes the way you react to someone. You can't control the world, but you can certainly control how you react to it, right? And that's how you change the, uh, you know, compassion and empathy and create better people. You don't create a better society. You make yourself better, and that makes everyone else better. And I believe that compassion and empathy are trainable states. Of they're, they're quantifiable and measurable. And I know this because I had very little compassion or empathy as a young man. I, I was one of those angry entrepreneurs running away from fear instead of towards something that mattered. Uh, and I, I unfortunately I had a wake up call and did a lot of unusual things to turn on those skills. And I, I feel like it's time for us to start using technology to teach people that. And I'm dabbling in neuroscience uh, that makes that happen. 
uh, without you know, my full effort applied to that. But I, I feel like there are enough people like you, like the people here at XPRIZE, who are thinking about moonshots. Let's that, talk about Dr. Deepak Chopra this morning. Well, there you go. That was I great. Mean, unbelievable. I mean, you talk about that as a global consciousness. We are all one. We're simply manifestation of that same consciousness. And yet we hate someone as if we are hating ourselves, really. And yeah. that's what he said. He said, look hatred is really the simply a sign of you not loving yourself rather than you hating someone else. Hatred is very expensive biologically too. If your energy goes into that, it doesn't go into your next moonshot. So I, I intentionally cultivate, even people who do things I don't like, I don't hate the person and by who the does Forgiveness it. is the same thing. Yeah. You don't forgive someone, you forgive so that it makes you at being at peace. Yeah, that, that is very well said. Naveen, we're coming up on the end of the show. I believe it's worth your time to read the book. And if you think about your time uh, listening to this, there's a return on investment for every minute of your life that you spend. When you choose to read a well-written book, written with intent, you're getting thousands of hours of writing and tens of thousands of hours of experience that went into that book, and it takes you about four hours to read it. So the ROI on reading a book for you, if it's a worthy book, is exceptionally high. It's actually higher than listening to this interview, which I also think has a pretty good ROI, or I wouldn't be doing it. And by the way, don't forget to buy Game Changers. (laughs) Fair fair point. I almost forgot. Uh, If you go, any of your favorite online sellers now, uh, check out, just search for Dave Asprey Game Changers, and you will get the distilled knowledge of 450 people who've been on the show statistically analyzed so that you don't have to do this one tip or trick or tool that some billionaire or athlete used because you're probably not like that person. But if we can find that most people who've done something very noteworthy follow a certain pattern, maybe you can look at that pattern and bring that pattern into your life. And I spent a lot of energy distilling that into these 46 laws. And here's the backstory. The reason I did that is that I wanted to know that stuff for myself. All of the books that I've written have been to make my brain draw the pictures, the 3D maps in enough, in a structured way so that I could think about it properly. And that's part of my learning process. And by doing that, I became a better human being. And I'm hoping that by reading that book, that'll help you as well. So pick up your copy of Moonshots and while you're at it, pick up Game Changers. Thank you. Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you and look forward to spending the next day just at XPRIZE here together. Uh, Naveen, my friend, thank you for coming on the show again. Thanks for letting me get inside your head and tell me what makes you tick and why you're so good at moonshots. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.